Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know what's really important to me when I do business with a company is trust and transparency. I've been telling you now for a good while about my buddy Damon Burton and his company, SEO National, because trust and transparency are just as important to them. You know, for the last 15 years in the search engine optimization space, they have been leading the way and serving people tremendously well. Now, for those of you that don't know what SEO is, it stands for search engine optimization. It helps you show up higher on Google searches so that folks that are looking for what you have find you quicker. And you know what's really encouraging? More revenue, more sales, growing your business. Do me a favor, get in touch with Damon and his team today at SEO National at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get your free quote and tell them you heard it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I hope you're ready because here comes a dynamite conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, yeah, a little bit different setup for the Intentional Encourager podcast. Nothing like podcasting from a hotel room. But again, I am so looking forward to a dynamite conversation. And here's the thing I have on the Intentional Encourager podcast. So you've got the Intentional Encourager and you've got the Strengths Encourager. And she helps individuals and teams live well and perform well together. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to bring the Strengths Encourager and the Intentional Encourager podcast together. And that is my guest, Wendy Willard, who joins me on the Intentional Encourage podcast. Wendy, how are you today? I am well. Yes, I love that the idea that this is, we're all about encouragement today. So that's awesome. That's exactly right. So let's start here. I noticed in your profile on LinkedIn, you talk about well-being, team building, and living on purpose. And so let's start there. The last couple of years, and and the reason I I want to start here with that and build off that is, you know, as you know, I've started just about every podcast asking how the last couple of years have been for people because I live in West Virginia, you live in California, and so you want to talk about diametrically opposite ways that we've been affected by what's been happening the last couple of years. Take me through the last couple of years for you professionally and personally through this pandemic. And what's a lesson that you'll carry out of it? And I believe we'll get out of this, but what's a lesson that you'll carry that you've learned from it that you'll carry out of it? Yeah. So I've been doing a lot of reflecting recently because as you know, we're coming up on two years, right? Two years ago, what did I mean, what did we think was happening? I mean, I certainly wasn't anticipating what has happened. Um, My husband, on the other hand, was anticipating what was going to happen. And I didn't realize he was actually stockpiling food and uh, things, other things that he thought we might need in our garage and under my bed. I was actually sleeping on a pantry of peanut butter and uh, number 10 cans of pasta sauce and pears and all of this stuff that he started collecting. My wife turned a spare closet and part of where my office is about 200 feet from our house, my wife did the same thing. So again, yeah, I I totally get it. Yeah. So I wasn't prepared for that. We, um, we actually are foster parents. And so in February, I think it was February 1st of 2020, we took a new placement of two sisters. They were 12 and 13 at the time. And, uh, their lives looked very different than ours. And so there was a lot of adjustment on their part and on ours. And so we spent, you know, all of February adjusting, getting them set up into, uh, they didn't have an educational background. And so we got them into school and I had started the process of getting an IEP for them. And 
we got them into gymnastics. They had never done extracurricular activities. We started doing all of this stuff to try and support these kids. And then, you know, about what, six or seven weeks after they came to stay with us, the world shut down. And uh, they went from being very well supported and having us and their teachers and social workers and um, gymnastics teachers and all kinds of stuff and being able to visit with their family, they, they had a very large group of siblings to all of a sudden being stuck in this house with us, people that they didn't really know that well, right? Um, and they couldn't go to school anymore and they couldn't see their siblings and they couldn't do anything that they had done. And, um, and so we saw the pandemic through their eyes. Um, and that really, I think, <laughs> uh, I mean, looking back, it just, their worlds turned upside down. And as a result, our entire family's world turned upside down. We, uh, our older daughter ended up coming home from college. And so all of a sudden we had six people in a 1200 square foot house. And I had four teenage girls sharing one bathroom. And uh, so there was a lot of frustration. There was a lot of stress. Um, and so one of the very first things that I did was try to figure out, okay, I need some sort of structure for these kids. Uh, how, so I created this whole checklist, uh, and it was kind of my little, um, moment because, uh, where something I did online all of a sudden took off and I had like, it kind of went viral because everybody was looking, how, how do we help these kids? Right. They have so I gotta ask you, yes. I, jump in, I gotta ask you, how are you? You're new. You take on these two foster children. Then your oldest daughter comes back, and you have another daughter at home. It's you and your husband. How do you keep everybody encouraged through it? How do you keep everybody? I know what I did at home, but it was just me and my wife and my son. How do you keep everybody intentionally encouraged when? A, you live in a 1,200 foot square house, as you mentioned, and two, you just, you, you, your daughter comes home, she's used to her sister, but there's two new people that she doesn't really know that well, yeah. and they're all sharing a bedroom. So, Wendy, how do you keep everybody intentionally encouraged? Yeah. So, well, they weren't sharing a bedroom, they were sharing a bathroom, but yes, but still, I just want to clarify. But, well, that's worse. Yes. Okay. For, for, for yes. what I understand <laughs> from teenage girls, that's worse. They would much rather share the bedroom than the bathroom. I, yes. I am almost positive about that. But my oldest came home and got stuck in the office. So I ended up having to move my office into the living room. Um, so yes, we're all on top of each other. And I can remember there was one night where everyone was, um, mental health in the household was had kind of tanked, right? And I know for a lot, for me and for a lot of other people, creativity is a way to um, to help improve your mental health. When I can be creative, I feel better. But the problem is um, when my mental health is already tanked a bit, when I'm maybe feeling a little depressed or I'm feeling down, um, it's hard to get over that hump of like wanting to be creative, right? Mm -hmm. Normally, normally when I'm feeling well, just the idea of being creative is enough for me to be like, let's go, let's do it. Um, but when we're feeling like that, the idea of it doesn't help. So it was really, I had to kind of like climb out of this a little bit of a pit and say, all right, we're going to be creative. And everyone's looking at me and I was like, we're having a paint night. And they're like, what, what do you mean? We don't want to do this. I said, I'm going to find all the paint supplies I can. I mean, I went to art school. I've got stuff still hanging around from a long time ago. Um, so I found some canvases. I found a bunch of paint and I put it all on the table and I said, okay, we're all, we're going to do, we're all going to paint. I don't, what are we going to paint? I don't care. We're all going to paint something that uh, can go together. And when you, when we put these four canvases, I was facilitating and the four girls were painting. When we put them together, we want it to make something fun and it's going to look great together. Yeah. Just, you know, trace a hand, trace a foot, right. do something and then color and paint it in, you know, yep. just do yep. something. Right. And in the beginning, I mean, it was for the first probably 10 minutes, it was 
this sucks. I don't want to do this. I'm not, you know, and one of them just painted the whole canvas black. And uh, it was- Midnight in San Diego. That's what it right. is. Yes. That's yeah. That's what I, and I was like, okay, awesome. You're going to put some stars in there? Like, you know, and I, I was like trying really hard to say, no, we're going to, we're going to turn this ship, right? We're going to change how we feel. Um, and I will say over the course of an hour, we eventually started laughing together and that's the, that's huge, right? That's, that I think is where it started turning, um, and where everybody started to feel better. You could, there was just this release of kind of all this built up energy, um, and it got the four of them working together on something and it gave everybody a chance to just exercise kind of how they were feeling, just kind of put that out there. Um, I won't say we kept the paintings. I won't say they were, they were awesome. For the most part, they were in just, a, you know, a, an exercise in creativity. Um, but it was, it was something that was helpful in that time. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, it made us all feel better, even if, you know, we then had some rough days again. Um, it was stuff like that, you know, saying, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna do something. We're all gonna sit around and watch a comedy show so we can laugh together. You know, we're gonna build, we ha I still have my Legos from when I was a kid. I've carted them all across this. You know, country. Wendy, if my family and I did family painting night the next like the next night we would have a family bonfire and burn them because they would be so oh, yes. terrible i mean oh, yes. if, if no, i'm painting were. something it it's terrible i had trouble painting a green wall for a green screen in my in my podcast studio so you know again my wife was like never again never again i'm not giving you a paint and paintbrush just because i was so terrible at it you know i was just so incredibly horrible but what, let me ask you this, when you, when you saw that ship turning, and I like the way you said that, kind of the turning the ship, you know, that's, there's this, we, we've got this big ship of weight and mm -hmm. um, uneasiness and all the things that, that you guys were dealing with in your home and you, and you're turning that ship when, when, after that night, what did you notice about the dynamic of everybody coming together? Did you notice the atmosphere changing after that night and everybody just kind of coming together? Because I, again, I want to go back to that because I'm trying to put myself in that, in that moment where you've got two foster kids, they're separated from their siblings. You have your oldest daughter separated from her sibling and she comes back. And so they're trying to, to reconnect as, as most people do when you're away from somebody you you know you, you I, I know when I traveled a lot a lot more than I do now when I was gone three or four nights it took me a day or so to reconnect with my family you know because you're gone doing your own you're working yeah you, your wife's handling things so to speak things like that it takes a minute to reconnect did you feel the atmosphere changing after that point, you feel like that was a real turning point to the I to think, that year? I think it was a point for us. I know, you know, I can speak for myself and say it was a point for me where I realized, okay, we have to be more intentional about doing stuff like this together. Um, and just encouraging each other to um to express our feelings however that needs to come out, right? In in a, as productive of a manner as we can. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you and say that it was all, you know, easy street after that, because when you take uh, two kids from a, a difficult, who had a difficult past mm -hmm. and you put them together with other people, <laughs> right? And we're all uh, a bunch of broken people and you put us all together and there's a lot of ups and downs um, and it's difficult. And we've been involved in foster care since 2008. So a lot of years, I wish I could say that, you know, most of the stories ended with a nice pretty bow wrapped, you know, wrapped with a pretty bow on top. Yeah. Um, that isn't how it's, it's been in a lot of cases. Um, and well, everybody, listen, everybody thinks that 
and, and I want to I want to pull a little more conversation out of what you said there. A lot of times, people think that those of us that have encouragement that do encouragement they think oh your life must be great everything in your life must be just so wonderful that's how you encourage people right because you don't go through life struggles you don't go through anything like that and it's not that that we don't go through things it's that we've learned how to encourage ourselves and get ourselves through it and it and it's i love what you said there because it's almost like, well, if you're encouraging people, you must have things figured out. And that's not the case at all. Like, I'm the last person that's got everything figured out. When, when you think about that, and, and forgive me for interrupting there, but you, you hit on that. And I, I wanted to pull a little more of that conversation out because that's a fallacy that a lot of people think. So let me go here for a second. How did you keep yourself encouraged through that? Oh, yeah. Time? Uh, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's been the, the perpetual thing uh, for the last two years. And, you know, originally you asked, what did I what is something I've taken out of all of this? Right. And something yeah. I've learned. Um, and I uh, I created recently I created a, a I wrote a blog post. Um, about kind of 12 things that keep me uh, anchored to truth, things that I can do to keep myself focused on truth when my brain is, um, when the world seems to be throwing all sorts of stuff at me that I don't know if this is true or not, right? And so, um, and so, you know, there's lots of basic stuff in there and then, you know, it, it grows, it expands. But one thing I have to do every day is I have to get outside and I have to take a walk. Uh, and for me, I work at home. So I spend a lot of time sitting in at this desk uh, and um, I have to get, I just have to get outside. And, and that was... Even before the pandemic, I was taking the dog for a walk every day. But when we found ourselves living six people in this little house, getting out to take a walk felt even more important, right? Yeah. Like, I've got to get outside. I need some time to myself to think. Um, and I listen to, um, I often, that's when I'm doing some sort of listening to scripture first thing in the morning. Um, and so that's kind of sets my day, uh, in the right direction. Um, so, you know, and that's something that I was encouraging all of us, uh, you know, um, to do rather take some time, take a walk. Um, you know, if you want to listen to a podcast or music or yeah. something that helps you, you know, uh, stay grounded, um, you need to do that. Right? See, in my neck of the woods right now, as we record this, yesterday we Cold. had seven inches of snow. So if you're going to take a walk, you're going to you, you you might want to put some boots on with some good traction and, and bundle up. It's not like where you are. Where I know. It's sunny and warm. It is. Uh, we are in the throes of winter. Let's step aside and take a break. When we come back. We will talk more about. We will talk more about encouragement, which is something that, that Wendy does very well. I want to talk more, though, when we come back, about strengths encouragement. That's something a little bit different that I, I'm, you know, I, I want to find out some things about that. And then a little bit later, we're going to get into more of Wendy's story. So you come back. I've got Wendy Willard, the strengths encourager on the Intentional Encourager podcast, back in a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. The new year is upon us and you may be sitting there thinking, hey, I would really love to pay off some debt or I would like to save for that dream vacation. Maybe you want to buy a new car, whatever it is you want to do financially in the coming year. Let me give you a great piece of intentional encouragement and something to think about that might help you do it. 
products for profit. Now, this is a course taught by my good friend, Joe Hart, who's been a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast and has told his story how reselling changed his life. And you know what, folks? It could do the same thing for you, too. It's really simple. Reselling is basically buying a product and then reselling it online for more money. And Joe is going to take you through the steps and show you how to do this either part-time or maybe as some of his students have done, take this full-time as well. Go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP. And oh, by the way, this group is going to help you find leads of products that are profitable right now, give you all kinds of great intentional encouragement, and you're going to be surrounded by a community of people that are going to want to see you be successful in the reselling game. Again, go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP and tell him you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Wendy, let's, I love where our conversation's going. You were talking about, before we took a break, about the things that you do to intentionally encourage yourself. And, and I love that. And, and here's what I tell people. If you are not encouraged yourself, how in the world will you ever encourage people? It's like trying to pour into something it's like trying to water flowers with an empty bucket or trying to yeah. hydrate something when there's nothing in that thing to hydrate. You have to fill your internal bucket first before you can fill other people's buckets. So let's talk about that for a minute. What is a strengths encourager? I, I'm dying to know what a strengths encourager is. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you, but can I tell you one other of the the things that I do when I said there were 12? Well, of course. Can I mean, I if you, you were to rattle all 12 of them off, I'll just sit back. No, <laughs> no. I want to tell you one, one other first, because this one, I think, is one that I've learned in the last two years that I didn't do before that I am, that is just so important. So, I have a friend who is um, a pastoral counselor in South Carolina, and he uh, was telling me, I think it was, yeah, it was like June of 2020, and we were talking about, you know, stress and stuff that he recommends when he is counseling people that are having difficult seasons, right? And one of the things he said is that he sends them off with a prescription to sing out loud 15 minutes a day. And uh, he, so, you know, he, he said, I want you to put on Apple music or whatever you use, right. And turn the lyrics on and look at the screen and sing out loud and see if that doesn't change the course of your day. Right. And so I can tell you that I have had days where what I want to do is just go and sit and like doom scroll or, you know, zone out to another TV show or whatever. And I, but I want to change how I'm feeling. And I go and I stand in front of my, of a screen with the lyrics on and I force myself to sing out loud. And in those moments in the beginning, I don't want to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. But I've seen the benefits. I know what it does. It's a natural way of regulating your breath right? It, um, over the, while you're singing, you're just breathing naturally comes into line. And then it's a natural way of changing the way you're thinking and focusing when you're singing lyrics, you can't be anxious, right? Like, like, and depress all those things. Like, I mean, I guess it depends on part what your lyrics or your, your singing. Um, but for the most part, you are forcing your brain to kind of change the way the the way that it's been going and it it makes all the difference for me see i i i think that's i think that's good for people that are not used to that and 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 i and, and i'm not pushing back i, I want to have a good conversation here i've sang since i was three singing to me is natural yeah i can do it without even thinking about it i i don't have to think about it I just, and, and my dad did that. My late father would go around the house. He would sing parts of a chorus to a song. 
I do that just not even thinking about it just because I've done it again, three years old and I'll be 50 in August so that I can't not remember singing. So for me, it's, it's more, I don't know. I want to say habitual. Um, I don't have to think about it. Here's Um, my question. Yeah. How about think back to a season when you were trending towards, you know, more depressed than otherwise. Um, Um, If there's been a season like that, were you singing every day out loud? uh, Probably not. Just because, again, I've done it for so long that to me it was just, you know. But I take. But I will tell you this. I can remember there. There's one particular day. And I don't know where it came from, but I heard my dad singing in my ear. My dad was the one that taught mm-hmm. me to sing. My dad sang his whole life. My dad's been gone almost 10 years. I heard my dad singing a song in my ear and I started to cry because mm-hmm. I missed my dad. But it wasn't a, you know, oh, woe is me. You know, this is horrible. It was almost... In that moment, it was almost a seminal moment where it was like, yeah, I miss my dad, but this is a sweet moment, right? This is a moment where it's like, I'm really glad that I hear my dad singing in my ear. Yeah. And it was a song I hadn't heard in a long time. I hadn't heard him sing it in a long time. And so I I don't know, Wendy, for me, I, I don't know. I guess I've just, I'm more, when I sing, I sing for a purpose. I'm like, okay, well, let me, let me work on something or let me, you know, let me, um, you know, I try to move my range up and down a little bit. So I, I, I mean, I guess for, for everybody it's different. So let me ask you this since we're, since we're on that topic, what have you learned about singing? Has it helped you as far as wanting to, because I have a friend of mine that, that is taking singing lessons right now. We were talking back and forth over text. And she was at, I was, she was like, well, what, what feedback do you have? And I'm like, just, you know, listen to your voice. Sometimes you just got to let it rip. You know, sometimes you just in that 15 minutes, you just got to let it rip and not worry about who's around you. Just kind of go, yeah, I might crack a little bit or something like that. Did you first, okay, let me, let me ask the question this way. One, have you always sang? No. And two, what have you learned about yourself through singing? So I'm not, I'm not one of those people that, um, sings, uh, you know, I don't sing in public. Let's put it that way. I sing <laughs> corporately. There have been times that my wife has told me, um, you were not good tonight. <laughs> yeah. I love music. Um, I love, I love singing, but I'm not one of those people that when people hear me, they're like, oh, you should sing, you know, alone more like in front of people. No, no one ever says that. No one has ever told me that. And I'm sure no one ever will. So for me, this is an exercise more of changing my thinking and my thought process. And singing is a way to make that happen. And it was something that I hadn't, I wasn't aware of how much, um, you know, how much it impacts you. For for example, you know, for anyone who does read scripture, uh, you're, we're commanded to sing more, almost as yeah. much as we're commanded not to have, to, not to be afraid, right? I mean, it's, and we're commanded to sing even um, when it's a sacrifice to sing, right? So that means sometimes it doesn't feel good to sing, and yet the singing helps us and it makes us feel better. So that's my wife more... stands next to me and sings the same part. I'm like, sweetheart, I'll sing lower. You can sing the, the part. I can't, I don't do harmony. Yeah. I don't do any of that. My son and I are like that. And, and the way my brain, Wendy, the way my brain is wired, there's a lot of times that, that I need to hear that. Like if, if I don't hear harmony, mm. like something is just like, I'm like, oh no. There's something wrong. And then my wife, my, my sweet wife of 25 years, I'll be singing. I'll be singing a part. She'll sing the same part. And I'm like, can you not sing my part? Can You know, let's sing something else here. But I understand what you're saying, you know, because there is something innate about singing. And I love where this conversation's going. And thank you for taking us there. 
we I still want to get to the strengths encourager, yep. but I love where I'm this ready. is going because what you're really saying is there's a lot of times and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but here's what I'm hearing. And I hope I hope the audience is hearing the same thing. Is that there are times when to give yourself that encouragement, you have to do something uncomfortable to encourage yourself. And I think that's brilliant. I, I think that is a brilliant strategy, so to speak, because a lot of people just think, and I, and I said this a little while ago to somebody, they were talking about on social media, they were saying, well, if you like someone's playing or you like their preaching or you like their singing, you know, encourage them and tell them. And, and what I said was, I said, but tell them why. You know, a lot of people, you know, we could just, I could just say, well, Wendy, I think you're a nice person. Or I could say, you know what, Wendy, you know what I really value about you and our friendship is I like that you encourage me in this way, or I like right. that you encourage me in that way. When you think about the, the ways that you have had to find to encourage yourself, what's been something, or maybe you, you teach this or you, you help folks with this. What's been a way that you've encouraged yourself that surprised you other than singing, which that's a surprising encouragement, but <laughs> is there something else that you have found that you go, this really encourages me? Because for me, it's doing these podcasts. It's, it's creating a space for people to tell incredible stories. And then I find myself going, wow, I cannot believe that person entrusted me with their story. It, do you have something like that that you've run across as well that's encouraged you? Yeah. So, okay. So, um, I, and forgive me, my West Virginia accent came out there, run across. That is a West Virginia, <laughs> that is, that is okay. hillbilly terminology. So forgive me for that. Uh, that's okay. Um, yes. So, uh, probably about five or six years ago, I was first exposed to Gallup's Clifton Strengths assessment. Uh, and this is getting into why I call myself the Strengths Encourager. Uh, but I'm still going to, I'll be able to answer your questions at the same time there. So uh, it used to be called Strengths Finder. And then they renamed it Clifton Strengths uh, after the person who created it, and his name was Don Clifton. And he's often called the grandfather of positive psychology uh, and the father of strengths, right? So I was first exposed to this and uh, at when I was working in South Carolina. Uh, and then I decided to go back and get my master's degree. And as part of my first class, I had to take this assessment. And so I was like, okay, I guess here we go. Cause I'm not super big into a lot of like personality tests and stuff. Yeah. Like, um, that's not usually something I do. And but that's I a different to. one. That's a real different one. I've done the strengths finder and it, and it's, it's very unique in, in what it does. Yes. And it's considered a performance assessment as opposed mm -hmm. to a personality assessment. So the whole goal is to see what energizes you and what motivates you to succeed, right? And so what there, this assessment's been out for about 20 years and they've had over 30 million people that have taken it. And so there's a lot of data there. Um, but what they say is that there are 34 strengths inherent to humans and uh, the assessment ranks those strengths for you and they tell you that the ones at the top of your list are more likely to energize you, whereas the ones at the bottom of the list are more likely to drain you, right? So, mm -hmm. so just doing the stuff at the top of your list energizes you. It gives you, it makes you more hopeful. It makes you um, more productive. Uh, it makes you feel better, right? There's all these things. It makes you more excited about what you're doing. Um, and so when I, when I got the results of this, my top five were strategic communication, uh, ideation, belief, and input. And three of those are strategic thinking strengths. Um, and that just makes so much sense for me. In fact, even before I took this assessment on LinkedIn, I called myself a strategic communicator, mm -hmm. uh, 
And these are things that make me feel good, right? When I, so the communication strength is all about being uh, an energetic storyteller, telling engaging stories, right? Mm -hmm. When I get to do that, when I get to have conversations like this with you, I am super pumped. I am super energized. I'm encouraged, right? Um, I'm more hopeful about the future. Uh, so well, there's power in, in, there's power in two people engaging in conversation that is not, I'm trying to make you think a certain way and I'm trying to tell you how right I am and how wrong you are, which, which you, you, you hit on it a few minutes ago where you doom social scroll. And I love the way you said that is because again, you're not going to find much intentional encouragement on a lot of your social media platforms. And, and, and that's why folks, I'm trying to change that to some degree, because again, if you scroll through your feed, you're going to see, well, so-and-so went here on vacation or so-and-so had this for dinner or so-and-so got a new car or they posted a meme or somebody's trying to make a political comment. Yeah. And you don't really see a lot of encouragement there. And if you, if you doom scroll, and I love the way you, you, you really brought that, that out. If, if, if that's where you're spending your time and you're not spending time in conversations like this or listening to podcasts that encourage you or listening to the scripture or praying and, and communing with the Lord and talking with the Lord you're going to get discouraged pretty quickly. You're not going to, you're okay. not going to have good things to, to do and say. But here's the thing. So because communication is high on my list and where is it on yours? Is it, I'm guessing oh, it's pretty high. Probably high. I, I, I started to, while you were talking, I'm like, can I pull up this strengths finder real quick? Yeah, <laughs> you should look and see. Um, but so for, for those of us, the communication is high, we're going to really value this type of thing. But for someone who has communication in the bottom half of their strength ranking, that means that it drains them, right? Yeah. Having these types of conversations isn't going to be energizing to them. It's going to actually suck their energy. And I usually tell people, you know, you need to do the things that energize you about two to one to have the energy to do the things that don't energize you, right? You need at least two to one. I mean, an ideal situation is that throughout your day, you're having like four times as many things that energize you as things that drain you because yeah. you need the energy to complete the stuff, to do the stuff that drains you, right? So, so what I do when I work with people, whether it's teams or individuals, is help them figure out what energizes them and then pr help prepare for the times when you're not feeling well um, so that you can come up with a list of things you can do, right? For me, it's having a conversation with someone. Uh, mm -hmm. Another one for me is actually listening to a true crime podcast because if I do that, that engages my strategic brain, right? Um, it's like, I'm trying to figure out what happened, right? And, and can I solve this crime? Can I solve that? See, I like documentaries. I like, I want, my wife hates it because I like documentaries. I watch stories, sports documentary. Um, you know, we, we on at home, we'll watch, I, I'll turn on YouTube and I'll, I'll watch, goodness, I'll watch, a a sports documentary. I'll watch a press conference from my favorite team. And she's like, what mm -hmm. are you watching? And I'm like, I just, for me, I'm interested in I, that engages me. That energizes me. For one thing, I'm like, you know what? You guys need to ask better questions. <laughs> I'm kind of critical of, of media. It's like, come on, you got to ask better questions. I want to ask you this, and then we're going to take a, a quick break. Yep. And we'll get to your story. Okay. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for professionals? Mm -hmm. Not not that altogether, but but when you're working with someone, what's something that you are intentional about sharing with them? A, a piece of intentional encouragement. 
I know what mine is, but I'm not the podcast guest. You are. So what's your biggest piece of professional? And then I'll ask you a little bit later, what's your biggest personal piece of intention? And it may be the same thing, but what's your biggest piece of professional intentional encouragement? Yeah, well, and it probably is the same. It's it's going to be this idea that um, you need to be doing your, using your strengths really well every single day in order to feel good, right? So the most successful people in a professional setting are those who are actually uh, getting, having the opportunity to use their strengths every day, right? So when you get the chance to do that, when you can structure your life in such a way that you get to use your strengths more throughout the day than you're using, than you're having to use kind of what Gallup calls the non-strengths, which are the ones at the bottom of your list. Uh, you know, when you have to operate out of your area of weakness, that is really, really difficult. We don't want to do that. It doesn't make us feel good, right? So we need to structure our workplaces. Like, I get really frustrated with people that say, these people that are like Sunday night, ugh, I got to go to work Monday morning, right? Like, hey, let's figure out how to either structure your current job such that you are using your strengths and being energized at work and you love going to work or find you a different job where you where that can happen, right? Well, and, and I'll push back just a tad. And, okay. and that, that is where... And, and I'm, and I'm, you know, please don't misunderstand. I'm not, I'm not saying you're, no, where, where I believe that we've missed it a little bit okay. is the buzzword is, oh, I'm super passionate about this, or I'm super passionate about that. I don't wake up every morning. I don't wake up on Monday mornings and go, you know what I'm really passionate about driving six hours to go to work. I'm not really super passionate, nope. but here's the thing. I know when I get out of bed, I've got a clear purpose because people are depending on me to do what I have to do. So, so that for me, and I might not have slept well. I might've eat some, eaten something that disagreed with me. I'm getting old. I got a hip problem. I got, you know, I may have stuff on my mind, but I guess for me, I'm trying to discover that purpose for me is everything. Yep. If I can't be purposeful in everything or intentional about everything that I do, that's going to carry me when the, when the pat, when the passion bucket is not there. And there's a yep. lot, there's a, Wendy, I'm just being transparent. No, there's no, a lot you, of mornings. The passion bucket isn't there, <laughs> but, but what you just described are two strengths that I'd like to know where they are on your list responsibility and belief, right? And hear, hear me, when I say you have to use your strengths in your job, I'm not talking about being a good good at Photoshop or being good at, at you yeah, know, a, a certain point. piece of software. I'm talking about these things that are so innate in you that you can't not do them. It's like breathing, right? So you just described that you feel this deep sense of responsibility for your family or whoever, you know, whoever else the people, your colleagues or, or whatever. One of the things that I heard in your con in the way that you talked about it there was what Gallup calls the strength of responsibility. So if you're getting a chance to use that in whatever job you're doing, then you will be energized. So you will have more energy to keep going, right? Mm -hmm. So these strengths are not prescriptive. It's not that the strength of responsibility says you have to do this for a living, right? They're descriptive about the type of situation in which you are going to feel the most satisfied, in which you are going to feel the most impactful. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. I love that. And I was trying to pull up the, um, the strengths finder that I have. And apparently there is a new app and I've forgotten my password and everything. So I have to get in there I, yep. and, and pull it up. But hey, let's step aside, take a quick break because I want to leave space and room to tell your story. And I love where the conversation is going because again, I think what Wendy and I are both saying is get intentional about the things that encourage you. Find those things that encourage you Get intentional about feeding those things and making sure they're on point and things like that, because 
That's what's going to carry you. She is the strengths encourager, and she is on the Intentional Encourager podcast. My guest, Wendy Willard, come back because we're going to tell Wendy's story when we come back. Come back with us on the Intentional Encourage podcast back in a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to take a moment and tell you about my friend Harry Spate and his new book, Selling with Dignity. Harry has taken an age-old concept of sales and he's put a new twist to it. And I love the direction that he's taken with Selling with Dignity. And here's what's encouraging about Harry's book. Instead of viewing people as numbers and machines, salespeople are now given the tools and the encouragement to be dignified in their approach. Here's what Harry says. He says, selling is an honorable profession when it's done right. When sellers feel Feel they're valuable and have integrity and respect. This opens the door for better conversations and eventually relationship. This book puts an end to sleazy sales tactics and proves why selling with dignity can be done and it leads to massive success. And I couldn't agree more. Go to sellingwithdignity.com, get your copy today. And if you want Harry to sign it, he'll do that for you. Again, go to sellingwithdignity.com and pick up your copy today of the new book by Harry Spate, Selling with Dignity. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional encourage your podcast. Wendy, before we went to break, we were talking a little bit and you, you, you told us a little bit about your story, a little bit about your daughters and your foster children, but take us as far back as you want to go. I'd love to hear more of your, your life story and how you got from point A to point B, some, some, maybe some obstacles that you've overcome. I'm going to step back and let you take it and just go with it where you want to go. Well, I think um, ultimately what I'd like to get to is uh, when I first reached out to you, uh, it was to talk about this word that I've been throwing around and it's called, the word is slathy. Um, but to explain kind of where that came from, I will go back a bit. Um, and I, like you have the benefit of being able to kind of, I'm being on the second half of my life here, kind of looking back and saying, what, uh, what have I really, what's been, um, a thread that if I pulled it, you know, would go all the way through my life. And I realized that even though. I started off, I went to art school uh, and right out of college was working as a web designer. Um, all throughout my life, I see that I've been really interested in well-being. Um, and what does it take uh, for us to, um, to feel well, uh, to, to really thrive? Uh, you know, there's so many days when we're just surviving. Uh, we're struggling. We're, we're, you know, barely surviving. What does it take for us to to live well? And so, over the last 25 years, I've had a variety of different jobs. Um, I mean, at one point, I actually was uh, I I cooked at a bed and breakfast. <laughs> I made I uh, cooked every morning, uh, which was very different than you know going to art school and and all of that. Um, but even uh, so. Uh, fast forward a bit. So then in 2008, we became foster parents. And when you start caring for somebody else's kids, um, you think an awful lot about well-being. Uh, what does it take for, what does it take to, you know, to use that phrase that we used earlier, this to turn the ship, right? When you have a kid who's experienced such difficulty in the past, what does it take to, yeah. to shift things for them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I was also parenting uh, to, you know, what I sometimes call my forever kids at the same time. Uh, and so what does it take for them to have, um, to feel well, right? To have well-being and, Did um, fostering, did, did, did becoming a foster parent kind of come to you and your husband or it, was it something you guys sought out? Because there are some people that seek it out and, and there are times when it comes to them. How, how did that work out for the two of you? Yeah, so he growing up, his parents, um, his parents run a ministry in uh, Maine, and they always had extra kids floating around. Uh, they always had, like, literally, people sometimes dropped their kids off and said, "Would you take care of them for a couple of days?" or, or turned out maybe a couple of weeks or months. But 
anyway, so he grew up with um, lots of other kids being around. Uh, and that was a part of his family structure. And so we even talked about on our honeymoon, uh, I know it's not normal honeymoon talk, but um, <laughs> we talked about what, you know, what our future family might look like. And uh, so we knew, we, we went to Nicaragua in 2005, um, and we visited a missionary there who had adopted several kids, um, Nicaraguan kids. And I looked at him, oh, and I still, I have so much, well, you'll, you'll understand when I say what I said, but I was very ridiculous. And I looked at him and I said, oh, we want to be just like you. We want to save a kid someday. And he looked at me and I know he wanted to just laugh, uh, but he, he said very seriously, he said, listen, I want you guys to go home and start caring for, um, you know, kids in your own neighborhoods, in your own communities, start taking care of kids that need support there before you ever, uh, say you want to go, you know, quote, save a kid in a foreign country, yeah, right? That's so this true. was his advice to us. And at first, my initial reaction was like, ah, who is this guy? Well, you know, that's the thing is, is there are times it's like, well, we, we flew 5,000 miles and adopted a Russian child or a Chinese child or whatever. And in, and in our country, in the United States of America, there are children just dying to be adopted by a family that are maybe 9, 10, 11, 12 years old that people go, well, we want a baby. We, we want to raise a baby. And, and again, I understand that. But what about those? And, and I don't mean to get off on, on the subject, but that was just that to me sounded, Wendy, like some real godly counsel that you guys got in that moment. So how did that begin to change your thinking? Because I got to tell you, that's a little bit of a slap in the face comment. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, it was completely a slap in the face. And that's, it took me, uh, it took us a little while to, um, to come around to that way of thinking, I will admit. Uh, and I'm also not saying that this is some, that this is how everybody needs to approach, you know, adoption right. or foster care. But this is this was just our story, and and this is the advice he gave us. We took it to heart. We went home. Um, that trip was in April of that year, and in September we started foster care classes. In uh, we were living in Maryland at the time, and we started foster care classes then. Um, we had our girls were um, I think first and uh, fourth grade or something at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and we thought we knew a little about parenting. Um, I wish we had gone through those foster parent classes before we ever had kids because I learned a lot. Uh, and there's all sorts of questions that they ask you that I had never, we had never talked about. And it was, it was great to go through all of that. Um, sure. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, going welcoming uh, the first placement that they gave us was a set of teenage sisters and we had said we only want kids little kids because our kids you know were in elementary school and they sent us teenagers yeah. and after that we came we sort of became branded as the family that would take teenagers and um so as of today i think we've i've parented 24 different teenage mostly teenage girls um, and, uh, because of that, I've learned a lot more about well-being and, um, and so have you, I'm sure heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of us have, oh, yeah. right. Yeah. And it was something that even in some of our early foster care experience, we were taught and, um, and encouraged to consider. And, Years later, I realized I it came to my attention that Maslow's research was all done with um, upper upper middle class or upper class white males, which was the exact opposite demographic that I was parenting. <laughs> 
And so that gave me a little freedom to explore, to kind of say, what are the needs that we all have, right? What do these kids need in order to feel well, in order yeah. to live well? Yeah. And so through that process, I started just asking a lot of questions and, you know, asking, we had teenagers, so I could say to them, hey, what do you think is missing for you? What do you think you would benefit from? What do you really need, right? And so I came up with five buckets of needs and Maslow's hierarchy is a pyramid and I don't subscribe to that notion that it's a pyramid and he's received a lot of pushback in recent years about that. But for me, they're, they're buckets or columns. Um, and whenever any of them is out of whack, then your whole system can be out of whack. Oh, yeah. And so the first one is worth. Um, we need uh, to feel like we have a purpose and plans for our life. Um, we need, so we need to feel like we're, why are we here, right? That's, that's the first one. And then the second one, well, and I just, there's really no necessary order, but I, the, I'm just talking about them in this order. But sure. um, the next one is love. So I often refer to the ABCs of love as acceptance, belonging, and connection. So you um, you can imagine a teenager, a teenage girl coming home from school, and um, she goes to her room and she slams the door and she's rude and mm -hmm. um, you know and disrespectful and all sorts of feelings as the parent come out of don't behave that way and rah, all these things that you're thinking right um but what's amazing is that if you're able to step back a bit and dig under and eventually come to find out that you know she like all teenagers need to feel those abcs of love they're trying to feel them from their peer group yeah. And that day she had been a really hard day for her where she felt not accepted at all at school. And so as a result, that need for her went unfulfilled. It was really, you know, difficult for her that day. And her behavior reflects that. Well, right? I, I, I think, Wendy, I think love is so important because we are conditioned from an early age that um, if you grew up, you know, and I don't want to, to dismiss this. If you grew up in a stable two parent house, you're like, okay, well, or somebody, somebody will say, well, I grew up in a house surrounded by love. And then some people are like, you know what? I was abandoned when I was a kid. I don't, I don't really, I didn't really know what love was until mm -hmm. later in my life. And I was always looking and searching for love and things like that. So love is the, really the, the basis, yeah. if you will, of, of every emotion in the world. So that, that's, that's super important as well. When you think about those five buckets of needs that you came up with. Was there a moment where you said, maybe there's a bucket that I need to pour into myself a little bit oh, yeah. more? Because, well, yeah, what, what was that for you? Yeah, and so the third one is, and so I'll have to name them all five to get to the one that I need. But um, so there's worth, love, um, nourishment, which is nourishment for your body um, and, you know, your everything. So it's food, it's water, and it's physical touch. I put in that category for nourishment because mm -hmm. we, we, we yeah. need all of those things. Rest is another super important one. Rest for your body, your, your mind, your soul. Right. Um, and then the last one is trust. And this is one that I think is really underrated in our culture. We don't really appreciate how much our culture is built on trust we have to trust that the people driving in the in their cars are not, are going to obey the rules of the road and are not going to hit us. Right. If you're a store right. owner, you trust that people are going to pay for the items that they take, right? If I tell you something in confidence, I'm trusting that you are going to not go blabbermouth it to everybody else. Yeah. Right. But we trust that, that if we turn something on, it'll come on. Oh yeah. Right. So there's all these aspects of trust and where do I place my trust? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
the opposite of trust, at least in my experience, is fear. And so I think when I look back on my life, that's the bucket that I've struggled the most in, um, is trusting, for example, um, trusting that uh, my daughter's creator actually loves her more than I do, and that he's got her in the palm of his hand, and he's going to take care of her, right? Like, that's been a huge thing, obstacle for me to get to is, is in parenting is trusting, um, for my kids. Right. Uh, so, um, so the opposite, if we look at the opposite of all of those, like the opposite of that one is, is fear or being afraid. This is where my word slathy comes from. Talk. I want you to talk about that. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to get to that. And I don't want to miss that. I also want to be respectful of our audience's time as well, too. So I want, go ahead and talk about yep. SLATHY. That, that's, that's, an, that's an unusual acronym. Yes. So the S stands for the opposite of worth, which is shame. That's what we feel when we don't feel like we have a purpose or plans um, for our future. So that's shame. So the opposite of love is uh, the L that's loneliness. We feel alone, right? The opposite of, of trust is, uh, that's where we get the afraid, the fear. So S L A the opposite of rest is tired. That's the T the opposite of nourished is hungry. That's the H. And then what I found, the, the reason that this word became important is because all these kids that were in my home, they'd have all these behaviors and their social workers would say stuff like, oh, they're dysregulated, right? Well, no one wants to be called dysregulated. Like that's just not happy and it doesn't make you feel good and you don't want to own that. And so I said, what if we can create a word that you guys can own, a word that um, helps you talk about how you feel when your needs aren't met with dignity and yeah. privacy, yeah. right? That's so right. The, the why at the end stands for yucky. And that is this idea that sometimes I might not know which of my needs isn't being met but I know that I'm feeling what this looks like when my needs aren't met. I'm, you know, and this looks like, uh, when I, when I talk about this in a business setting, it's pretty amazing, right? Yeah. People all over, I say, what does this look like for you? How does this show up? How does this slathiness show up? And, you know, you get people say, well, I get really impatient or I withdraw or right, there's just tons and tons of descriptive words to describe how this makes us feel. And when we have this word to, there is no word in our English language to talk about how we feel when our needs aren't met. Mm-hmm. You could say unfulfilled maybe. What I've found is most people, especially in the business world and professional settings, they just say they feel tired, Yeah. right? It's like, how are you feeling? I'm a little tired. So when, I had been teaching this concept of slathy to other foster parents and adoptive parents before COVID hit. And then after COVID, I started finding that they wanted to take it to their workplaces. They're like, everybody I know is feeling slathy right now, but they don't understand this. And so I started realizing, I started getting calls to teach this in to business teams to help them have a lang- have language to talk about how it feels when our needs aren't met because COVID has impacted that, the pandemic impacted that for everyone. Can we have a language that we can use in the workplace, for example, to say, you know what? I know we had a meeting scheduled this morning. Um, I am feeling really slathy today, and I'm wondering if there's any chance I can take a, you know, take a few hours to do what I need for self care. And can we reschedule it for this afternoon or tomorrow morning? Right? Can we have that conversation to help, like, to reduce judgment and to increase compassion? Yeah. That's really my goal with all of this. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And again, you know, there, there is, I think we all could hit on those different things. There are times that we're not a hundred percent and, and some people power through them and some people are like, listen, I need to take a time out. And so I'm really glad you said that. Let folks know where they can connect with you, find your resources, things like that. Because again, 
People may want to say, hey, Wendy, I'd like to reach out to the Strengths Encourager and get get that for my team. How can folks connect with you, Wendy? Well, there's a couple ways, but if you go to slathy.com, so that's S-L-A-T-H-Y.com, there's a quick overview of what I talked about in terms of the needs and what it means. And then at the bottom, there's a link to my uh, Strengths Encourager website. Uh, and so that'll get you, you know, slathy.com is probably the quickest way to, to get you to both of those. Awesome. Awesome. This has been so good. Wendy Willard, the Strengths Encourager, has joined us today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Wendy, this has been great conversation. I love the fact that we were able to talk specifically about encouragement and different things and, and sharing your story. I really appreciate that. Thank you for joining us today on the Intentional Courage Podcast. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.